get a six. That was damn good. Almost looked like me. Welcome to the How to Play Quidditch podcast. I'm your host, Alejo Enriquez. I'm very excited today to finally be recording uh, a new podcast on a subject I've been wanting to record on for a long time, and that is uh, the subject of photography, um, specifically Quidditch photography. Um, there has a lot in common with other um, sports, um, but I think there's a you know a few things about Quidditch that make it unique and. Um, so I'm really happy to be talking with a professional photographer today, um, one who actually has shot Quidditch tournaments for us at Victoria Quidditch, um, and who also uh, actually shoots uh, other things as well, including uh, weddings and so forth. So um, I'm really happy to uh, get uh, this interview. I'm going to be trying to focus today on this interview on um, just how to break into Quidditch photography and what how to go about um, becoming a better photographer. Um, I think that, you know, of course, one of the important things uh, that we don't really talk about, we're not going to get to talk about this interview, is uh, knowing the game. Of course, if you, the more you've played Quidditch or at least watched it seriously, the more you kind of are going to be able to predict things as they, before they happen, so you know when to start rapidly taking pictures, hoping to get a good one in there. Um, but for anyone who's been wanting to, um, you know, pick up uh, photography as a hobby, um, or even possibly as a as a career. I really hope that this is a good introductory level um, uh, discussion that will help give that person some guidance into how what the process is uh, is of of going about getting good at photography. So I'm gonna I'm very happy now to be bringing on uh, our my guest for this podcast. Uh, she is a professional photographer, the proprietress of uh, photography by KZR on Instagram and also uh, on her website, photographybykzr.com. Uh, please welcome Karen Zuniga. Thanks for coming on the show, Karen. Thanks for having me. Oh, certainly. Um, so I've got three questions for you uh, to start us off, uh, just to get to, so the audience can get to know you a little better. Um I usually they're a little more specifically about Quidditch, but since I know you don't, uh, you're not, you haven't played Quidditch, you simply take pictures for it. Uh, uh, change the question around a little bit. So first off, what do you, what's something that you like about Quidditch, about uh, the Quidditch community or the Quidditch scene or the sport? Um, what I really like is the teamwork and how passionate people are about getting this game out there and to be more recognized makes sense yeah it's definitely a chaotic sport isn't it <laughs> very chaotic cool so what was your you've been to several quidditch events now as a photographer which one was your favorite that you've been to um i really liked thermopylae cup too um i saw you put it together and it was such an interesting thing to see it come to life and see how successful successful it was and how much people enjoyed it mm-hmm yeah it was definitely uh that was definitely a fun one it was cold <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> all right and then what's uh, the most awesome quidditch thing that you've witnessed personally um uh when i went to when i went with you to see fem's fatal fatal's fantasy uh to see those girls play that day it was amazing they just looked so badass playing it and made me want to you know take it up <laughs> to play it <laughs> 
was a that was a Femme Fatale Fantasy was this most recent uh, I think October, um, put on by Texas Seed League. That was a that was a lot of fun to see. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was really some really cool stuff there. All right, so uh, as uh, as you probably know, if you read the title of this uh, episode when you clicked on it, this uh, episode is going to be about uh, photography, Quidditch and photography, Quidditch photography. Um, and uh, right off the top, uh, uh, Karen and I have, uh, have a disclaimer for you that uh, everything we talk about is going to be a little overgeneralized because. Uh, obviously photography is really complex and it's an actual major you can literally spend years of your life studying so <laughs> if uh, if it could be taught in a one-hour podcast I mean you know why would those people with those degrees feel pretty silly right so we're we're just going to be covering kind of big picture ideas the outer surface of it and if you're interested in getting into photography uh, I think that um, we hope that you would learn a lot from this, but that this would just be a starting point for you to do your own research. Um, does that sound fair? Sound good? Sounds great. Okay, good. So uh, looking at, at our uh, little agenda here, we're going to be talking a bit about uh, camera photography, professional photography equipment, and uh, what, uh, what, how that works. And uh, we're going to talk just a little bit also about... Um, how to go about uh, selecting your equipment and also a little bit about post-production. Okay, so uh, I guess we can just start with a little bit about uh, your process. Uh, talk a little bit about um, what equipment you use for photography. Um, I use the Canon 80D uh, with the Temron 70 to 200 millimeters. Okay, and the uh, the two parts of that, the Canon 80D is uh, the actual camera body, is that right? Correct. Canon is the brand and the 80D is the model for the brand. Okay. And then the second part is the lens because lenses can like attach and detach. Right? right, right. So the lens Tamron is from a separate company who sells lenses that can mount to multiple different types of bodies and brands of cameras and so the one that I prefer to choose I prefer to shoot in is the Tamron and the uh, Tamron uh, 7200 that those 7200 millimeter number is is like makes it a telephoto that it's like zoomed in is that right right is the focal length in which um, allows you to zoom in and get a closer shot of what you're trying to get which is great for sport photography because you need to be at a respectable distance from the game itself but still be able to get a clean clear shot of what's happening of the action okay that's cool and so then the body the the canon 80d is a what was it called again a dslr was that right right um so it is a digital single lens reflex, and then it's a type of camera that most professional photographers um, use. And um, now there's been newer developments of different cameras, like the mirrorless cameras, which pro professional photographers are slowly starting to move into. But DSLRs are the type of professional cameras that are mostly used in photography overall. And those are the ones that make that really satisfying kind of click sound because that click is the mirror actually like moving. Right. Is that right. Yeah. Okay. That's the the mirror 
opening him. And so a mirrorless camera won't make a click sound. It'll just like no. be like a more like an iPhone almost. It's like a, uh, it's okay. silent. Okay, it's, a, it's silent. Got it. Okay. Um, well, that that's cool. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the the. Now I know there's there's lots of different kinds of cameras, but we're going to focus today on DSLRs because I know that they're kind of the more common professional camera still. And I think a lot of the things that are true about DSLR probably are also true about uh, other professional uh, cameras. So so when you let's say that someone hands you a, a DSLR, like you're 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 helping someone shoot. Um, and they hand you this this nice expensive camera. Uh, what are the key functions on this camera you're going to want to look at to know how to use? Um, if you when they, someone gives you a DSLR camera and your goal, your intention is to shoot sport photography, you are going to want to get acquainted with the manual button on your camera which is normally located at the top of your camera it's a dial in which it just has an M and that's for manual that's the first thing that you're gonna want to get yourself really acquainted with and how to use your camera in in that mode because that's you're gonna need the flexibility that the manual mode dial is going to give you in order to get those clean shots okay so so there's usually like an auto mode also right Correct. and that and you if you just want to just pull it out of the box and take pictures you can just put it on auto but you won't get good sport pictures is that what you're saying you may get lucky and get a few good shots but you're not going to get that clean sharp and frozen still shot of the game every time you shoot it's just going to be you might get lucky and um it's not it's not going to be able to because it's the the camera itself that it's picking up the lighting and picking up the situation so the camera is kind of like first priority is to be able to properly um get the lighting that you need to for that photo but it's not going to adjust to the movement that's happening so you might get a lot of blurry pictures a lot of blur blurry photographs because um, you don't have the control of the camera the control the camera has the control and and there's so many types of photography that it is it is um, crucial that you use manual but sport photography has to be one of the most important types of photography in which you really have to have a good handle of that manual mode in your camera. Okay. All right. That makes that makes sense. So when you're in manual mode, um, the you, you you switch your DSLR camera into a manual. What what are the 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 things that you can control that maybe you aren't controlling with auto that will help make sure that you get good sport photography pictures? Um. So with auto and um, also iPhones cameras and just iPhone cameras are called point and shoot cameras so it's just what you go point and shoot but it doesn't give you the flexibility and the control that you need to have in order to freeze a shot especially in photography when people are moving so that's why whenever you see a lot of the pictures from a tournament they uh, tend to be a little blurry and you can't really tell what's going on and that's because you don't have the flexibility that you would have, you typically have in a professional DSLR camera. So 
when you're in manual mode, the three biggest things that you have to get yourself to acquainted with and learn how to properly use is going to be um, the ISO, it's going to be your aperture, and it's going to be your shutter speed. Okay, so those are three. And are those buttons or dials on the DSLR somewhere where you can control the, each of them individually, I assume? Um, yes, these are, uh, it can be buttons, it can be dials, it can be depending on what type of body and um, camera you have. They're mm -hmm. different everywhere. For my camera, for example, you have to use buttons and you have to use the dials in order to manipulate these three important settings. Okay, so that makes sense. So let's talk about each of those three controls because I think those sound like those are the three most important things to adjust to get good sport photography pictures. Let's start with the ISO. What is, what is ISO? ISO is um, kind of like the sensor uh, sensitivity of a camera for light. So it, it kind of like redirects the light to be either more sensitive or less sensitive and it's extremely important in photography in the in the way that you it's one of the key components of being able to properly illuminate your shot okay and iso can go like from what number on your camera for example what does it go from what to what um in my camera it can go from each camera is different. So my camera, I the lowest setting I have for ISO would be a hundred, and it can go up to. Um, let's take a look. <laughs> uh, it can go up to all the way to wow. sixteen hundred. Sixteen thousand. Sixteen. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sixteen thousand. That's really high. Okay. And so um, you are, ISO is actually very tricky, and you're not going to want to set it to a high, high number too often because when you set it to a high number, you're going to get a lot of grain and noise in your pictures and um, in photography especially. That's one of the things we want to avoid. That's the purpose why we have these you know, professional and expensive equipment is to be able to get that sharp, clean image so you wouldn't want to set your ISO too high if you can avoid it. And the ISO, uh, I guess if it's sunny out, if you're outdoors and it's sunny, your ISO can usually be pretty low, right? Like down to 100 or whatever? Right, but that depends also on what you're shooting outside. Um, if you are shooting a subject in which is standing very still, for example, um, some people want to get some shots before the game and they're standing still and they're posing you and you're outside and it's pretty sunny you can set it pretty low um, but when your subjects are moving like in Quidditch and they're moving rapidly your ISO may not be at the lowest because of the other settings that are involved your ISO might have to be a little high depending because ISO shutter speed and aperture are a, a, a kind of a balanced trick. You have to be, depending on what you're trying to shoot, you have to balance these three settings to get what you're trying to get. It's going to be different every single time. That makes sense. So, so talk then about, let's go through those other two then. So let's, what, what's aperture? Aperture is how wide um, or how narrow the hole of the camera opens and closes, which 
the wider it opens, the more light it allows in when you're taking a photograph and how narrow it's the least light okay. that allows in, which is really important because photography is, in my opinion, primarily all about um, working your lightings and make sure that your um, photograph is properly exposed. So what would be uh, the benefits to opening it? So so if you open it wider, then you get more light, which is good, but what could be some of the downsides of opening it really wide? Um, opening it really wide could be, uh, you could overexpose. So like I was mentioning earlier, and I'm going to keep reiterating this, um, if you open it really wide, you're allowing a lot of light in. So you have to make sure that you manage the other settings in order to compensate for all the light that's coming in. Otherwise, your images are going to be washed out and overexposed. And um, images that are overexposed are very difficult to save later in post-editing. Um, another thing about the cons of opening it very wide and letting all that light in is that um, your background is going to have what it's called a um, a shallow depth of field and that means it's going to be kind of creamy buttery and so you're going to your subject you're gonna have a primary front subject that it's that could be proper if you let's say you had done everything the right way like your primary front subject is going to be the one that's all the attention is going to everything else is going to be like blurred out so in um in um the way that i shoot my um my images whenever i'm out there shooting for quidditch i normally never really set the um ap aperture that to open that wide because i want more of the um, the composition of the photo to include more of what's going on in the game because whenever your aperture is opened very wide it's going to create a lot of like um, blurriness, blurriness like the, in, in, the, the in the background okay right, right. That makes sense. So, so what what sort of numbers do you? What does your camera, for example, go between for aperture, just for context? Um, it's really on the lens itself. Um, okay. So each lens is going to be different. Normally, the lenses that allow the aperture to uh, go very low, or it's a little bit. It's not very intuitive because the wider you open your camera lens to let the more light in, the smaller the number it is. For example, the widest I've one of the widest ways I lenses I've seen around is a 1.2, an f stop of 1.2. So when you put your lens at an f stop of 1.2, it opens very wide. Okay. But if you put it at an f stop of let's say like 6.0, then it opens it narrower. So it's uh, a lot of people tend to initially get the two confused a little bit. You mm -hmm. think that then the numbers are reversed, but in reality, it's the smallest, the wider. Okay. The bigger the number it is, the smaller that it opens. And so with that 70 to 200 lens you were shooting tournaments with, what was the the smallest aperture you could use? That lens, I believe, was a 2.4 lens. Oh, no, actually, it was a 2.8. A 2.8 um, aperture. Um Typically, the 
smallest the number in a lens, the more expensive the lens will be. Like there is some lenses that are great for um, sport photography that are on the cheaper side, but the the aperture of the lens is not going to go as small as a 2.8 and they're going to be like a few hundred dollars cheaper. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so getting that, uh, getting that aperture not as small, as small as you can while still working with the lighting would be important for being able to see uh, a lot of the action all at once, not just in one, I guess, focal plane, maybe you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so then the, the third of our trifecta of, of photography power was the uh, shutter speed. Talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Um, the shutter speed in uh, sport photography to me is going to be one of the most important um, functions that you use because that's what you use to freeze the shot. The shutter speed uh, is how fast your shutter is opening in to let in light and um, so you can open it very you can open the shutter speed within 60 seconds oh for like a you for, keep it open for like yes, a minute so like yes. a long exposure yeah like a long exposure oh, okay. or you can do like one over um 500 one over 2000 oh, okay. and the bigger the fraction the denominator of the fraction is is going to uh allow the shutter speed to close faster okay. and that's what traps uh that's what freezes the shot okay but then but then my guess is that when it's not open for very long it doesn't let in enough light is that right yeah right it doesn't let in enough light so that's why you have to be able to adjust your um aperture and um iso to um compensate for the light loss that you that you get whenever your shutter speed closes too quickly okay so I guess if if you're doing sports photography, you you want those nice crystal clear, sharp images. You're turning your your shutter speed to be as fast as you can first, and then adjusting the aperture and the ISO to adjust to compensate. I guess. Right. That's what I do. My um, in order for me to be able to freeze the moment, I always set the shutter speed number quite high or to what I feel it's going to freeze the shot the best. And then after that, I adjust everything else. Okay, that makes sense. In uh, Quidditch, a lot of the games and stuff like that, it, tournaments and practices are the settings outside when where you have a lot of natural lighting. Versus in uh, basketball games. Basketball games are normally inside and they can be in dim lighting where it's... Uh, the environment is very difficult to work with it's if you're setting the shutter speed high but luckily for Quidditch is the settings outside where there's plenty of natural light to work with and you can set you can manipulate those settings with much more ease except for uh, most of big tournaments end up running late and we're there you know under the lights at night I can oh, imagine yeah. that makes it a lot harder yeah that is um, you might have to get out a flash 
mount for your camera, but that's a whole separate. Oh yeah, that's it's a whole separate podcast. Yeah, <laughs> just, fla- just on the flashlight is a whole separate podcast. <laughs> this is a. I know that we mentioned this before, but this is all very very like surface level. There's a lot more that you can go into. Like ISO, there's so much more that you can go into aperture and shutter speed. There's so much more in depth of each and every single one of them. Yeah, and and of course, I'm, I bet nowadays that this is all on YouTube also, uh, with a very cheerful-looking professional photographer in their studio talking into their camera about what all of the settings mean, probably. But uh, <laughs> but uh, all right, so we've we've I feel like we've done a pretty good job, kind of going over the basics of how to shoot in uh, in manual. Just I'm sure a lot of it just comes down to practice. Would you say that ultimately, just hearing those three settings, but then practicing with all changing all of them to match the lighting that you're in right um so you the moment that anyone if you are a photographer that are starting to want to inspire to take sport photography you are going to have to first take a lot of practicing knowing how to work your manual um camera that is uh the one of the most difficult things to do for a beginner and for anyone ever taking photography that um, just to go out there and really get to know how your camera works really get to know how the pictures come out when you uh, set the settings to a particular way and being able to work with light that's unpredictable like natural lighting the sun can go behind clouds and change or can out of I don't know where be super bright the clouds could clear up and little changes like this affect quite a bit and um, so in order for you to be able to get those clear clean shots like you have had to have some hours in clocked in and practice well that makes sense yeah just a just a skill oh and also probably the focusing is probably also something you have to practice too right I mean or do the cameras all have like autofocus now is that so, gonna work? Some lenses come with autofocus, and some lenses don't. Um, all the ones that I've ever shot with have had autofocus. So um, yeah, actually, focusing focusing is a huge deal. But um, it depends. That's actually very difficult, and a whole another subject as well. <laughs> it's another podcast. It's another podcast, <laughs> right? <a> trilogy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's quite a bit. So if you're start if you're starting out, I would um, first practice with your uh, settings, and then um, I would just leave it in autofocus if you have a lens that uh, allows you to do that. Um, you are if if and I just want to let like everybody know that you're even if you get really good at it even if you um been shooting for years like you're gonna get some throwaway pictures you know like that's all professional professionals like this happens all the time you have to shoot quite a bit and then sometimes like sport photography for example like if you have your settings on point and you have the situation going it's just sometimes getting that perfect shot where maybe that perfect that person pulled a snitch right on and you got that it's just about luck and just being able to constantly shoot and being able to switch your settings fast and quickly and that's why the practice comes because you have to be able to think quickly move quickly change the settings quickly the light change very quickly all you need to compensate that right now like especially in sport where you can't 
reproduce the images quite the same way again. <laughs> so like, like, okay, guys, go do that again. Let me take yeah, another shot yeah. and another angle. Wait, wait, put this, put this niche back. <laughs> I didn't get that. No, it's not. It's not like it that. It was no good. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like that. It's not like in portrait photography where you tell the subject what to do. In sport photography, they're going to do, they're going to play the game. And it's up to you to get those shots and being able to compensate quickly and think on your, think quickly, be on your feet, be moving, be active, you know, kind of in Quidditch, for example, um, there's, it's not like in soccer with soccer, like the main focus is, you know, the soccer mm, ball and yeah. the players, but in Quidditch, there's so much going on. There's different types of moves and players and different um things happening all at once so you have to be able to move back and forth through the field very quickly and get those shots and it is a lot of practice it, it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of patience and it's going to be a lot of throwaway images and, but once you get the hang of being able to manipulate your camera and really get to know how the settings work then you're going to be much more satisfied versus if you just get a camera and go and shoot an auto on these um, tournaments, you're not going to get what you see other professional sport photographers get. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's really good. That's a really good point that definitely you're going to get a lot of throwaway pictures. Do you have any other advice for someone who maybe is ready to take the plunge and and get their own camera and start taking uh, and trying to, to build their portfolio as a sports photographer? Um, advice in which camera to get or what well, yeah, to do. Anything like that. Yeah. Um, my biggest advice is for people to just research as much as they can. When I first was thinking about what camera I should get, um, I, I made a lot of research. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, reviews, read a lot of articles online. I went to the store and, um, held the camera in my hands and, took practice shots and then um i am the area in which i live in we don't have a good camera store but in austin there is precise camera uh, precision camera precision yeah. camera i'm sorry precision camera and um you can rent these uh, cameras out and you can take them with you and just practice and shoot and see if it feels good on good for you mm. um you can also rent this stuff online you can actually rent professional camera equipment online and um, I would just really recommend doing as much research as you, as you possibly can on your equipment because it's it's an investment and it's very expensive even like the cameras even the DSLR cameras or professional cameras that are like on the cheaper side are still gonna be like a good four five hundred dollars and um, so that's my biggest advice is that people go and do everything that they possibly can and not just take the word of a few reviews online, like just really go and try to handle that camera if you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I know, I know a couple of Quidditch photographers personally around in the Quidditch community and they're, they're mostly very friendly people. I'm sure that if you ask what their experience is also, if you're at a tournament, um, they might have, uh, their perspective to lend too, but you know, in general, I think everyone's gonna have to do their own, come to their own conclusion about what they want to shoot with and what their budget is. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, photography is a very expensive profession if you're a professional or hobby. If it's just a hobby for you, it's not. It's definitely not cheap, and you. Um, and I don't think 
that you need to go and buy the most expensive camera and the most expensive lens. I think that you can take some beautiful shots in with a, you know, um, a cheaper DSLR or when I say cheaper, it's like the most uh, affordable ones because they're not really cheap and get some great images. But um, starting out, that that's what I would I would think that you would just do your research. Don't, you don't have to go buy the most expensive equipment. It, the equipment is a huge advantage, but ultimately it just goes to how well you can take the picture because you can buy a very expensive um, DSLR full frame camera with the best lens, but if you don't know what you're doing, you're still gonna get like, you know, yeah. overexposed pictures, underexposed pictures, a lot of grain, a lot of um, missed shots. So it all just comes down to how good you can be and how good you can handle it. And uh, and I know that uh, you get you, I've seen you take pictures and you always enjoy using that 70 to 200. But even with your kit lens, which is the lens that comes with the camera body, you would say you can still get good pictures if you know what you're doing. Would that be fair to say? Um, yeah. Uh, when you buy a camera, sometimes you can buy a DSLR with just the body. But you can also buy a DSLR camera with the kit lens. And the kit lens is, depending on the manufacturer, the kit lenses are mostly supposed to be that like overall lens where you can take multiple multiple different types of shots and you could potentially get some you know sport photography um, images with your kit lens in and they could be great um, for a person who's starting out this is a great way to start I, I believe but you know when once you are more experienced once you've outgrown your shell then you're gonna find yourself looking for telephoto lenses and you know it in a way to expand and um, but a great way to start for someone who has never really had a lot of experience or don't know quite or don't know quite too much or don't have like the resources to get the telephoto lenses a kit lens is it's a it's a great way to begin mm -hmm. makes sense all right so the last uh, thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, you mentioned post uh, a couple times which is uh, uh, software that you can use to edit, I guess the short post is short for, short for post-production. Um, talk a little bit about what the major uh, uh, editing software, photo editing software is that's out there and what you might use it for. Um, there is so much out there and um, I know of some people who use things like GIMP, which <laughs> is free, but I personally like to use um, Adobe's Creative Cloud with uh, Photoshop in Lightroom and um, actually when I picked up photography it was whenever I was um, like 17 years old or a bit younger and at the time we didn't have these creative clouds like these portals like they have nowadays you used to have to go out and buy the CD and then install it in your computer and um, that could be very expensive because um, they, they were like $120 for the CDs. And my first uh, post-production um, software was Corel PaintShop Pro. And um, now you can actually get, you can pay for it monthly, $10 a piece, $10 a month. And um, you have constantly new uh, updates on your um, software versus Back then, you would have to buy a brand new CD if you wanted to get the new updates. Oh, yeah. So um, 
So um, for a brand new photographer, um, all of this may be overwhelming, but you could, you don't necessarily have to go out and get all of this all at once. Like you can practice with your camera, get in those sharp images. And sometimes like some of the uh, shots straight out of the camera are great and you don't necessarily have to like go out and change it. But there are some beautiful photographs that people are, I guess, are striving to achieve. And a lot of those photographs are not, not, not are not only taken out great out of the camera, but they're also altered in post-production. You know, um, so the the one that I use is the Creative Cloud with Photoshop and uh, Lightroom. Um, I personally use Lightroom just a little bit more for sport photography. And uh, in there you can um, adjust, you adjust a little bit of like the components of the image you can adjust the contrast, the exposure, the highlights and the shadows and saturation. And um, it is something that is extremely helpful. If you sometimes when you take an, a, uh, an image and it didn't, didn't come out quite right, like maybe the settings are quite a bit off, you can try to correct that in post-production. And sometimes it works, sometimes it's very helpful, but it is also something that, take, that requires a lot of um, practice and being able to, because it's also more of a, a balancing act. I think that um, photography is a, a, a lot of balancing acts all at once. Yeah. You have to balance your light, make sure it's clear, that you have the right depth of field, and then after post-production you have to make sure that um, all of the other settings are also working in conjunction with one, one another. And so um, it can be overwhelming for people who have never had um, any experience with it. But there's a lot of great tutorials online that can help you understand how these interfaces work and how it all works. And um, I like highly encourage people to go out and just learn, not only go on YouTube and watch all the, all those videos and research all that, but also get out with your camera and practice, practice, practice. It's, it's going to take both. I think sometimes like I've seen some people who, um, want to take up photography and then they, uh, watch all of these amazing and informative videos. But when you go out there and you don't shoot enough, they get discouraged because it is, um, it's both. You have to do both. You have to be able to go out and practice. I think more importantly, you gotta just go out and practice. Sometimes some of the things that you learn is just by doing and not by watching somebody on YouTube. YouTube is extremely helpful for so many things, but within photography, you just really gotta go out there and shoot. And it's, it can, for me, it was very discouraging initially because um, I just, it was very difficult for me. I know that some people pick up photography easier than others and so like just like any skill but just like when you played some people when they play quidditch for the first time <laughs> maybe they weren't the greatest but then they um skills you know increased rapidly if as the more they practice it's the same way with photography you or some people are like just born with the ability so they're natural athletes and they go and they're good but some of us are not like that. So I, I personally not a person that was able to pick up photography and like 
it was like it wasn't second in nature to me like I had to work I had to put in the time and the effort and the patience and like if I didn't understand something go back and watch that video read again that article go out there and try it again it's a lot of trial and error so um, I think that's uh, that's the, what I wish more people would take away from this today <laughs> I feel like it's exactly the same thing with uh, with Quidditch that some people can get discouraged if they don't reach the level they want to right away just by seeing other people do it. We here in Victoria, Texas have a lot of people who try Quidditch out and then they don't stick with it because it's it's uh, you know, it's embarrassing to, to not be good at something right away sometimes I think is as part of it. Um, so, you know, having a growth mindset is just a uh, good good just a good thing to have in general you know seeing yourself as a work in project and pro work in progress and not as a, a finished product so i agree yeah great so do you have any uh, last words uh, for our audience here today um to be open-minded to the journey to not compare yourself to other people and how fast they take up something to embrace every step of the way to get there just like you know, people, athletes have to embrace the strength that and ability that they're getting from practicing. Just have fun with it. Just be creative. Let your mind wander. Sounds good. Try new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So I want to thank Karen for coming on to the podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener, for making it all the way through our uh, podcast on photography. Uh, thank you. And uh, see you some, around some other time. Thank you.